Hello, and welcome to the Android Bytes podcast, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddick, and each week I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Rahman, breaking down some of the really complex topics in the Android world, be it about the operating system, implementations on devices, APIs, developer tools, or just obscure things about Android you probably won't hear anywhere else. Thanks for listening, everybody. This week we have a great episode about safety net, a topic that I think is near and dear and frustrating to many an Android power user. Yeah, and today on the show, we're joined by two guests. The first one being Sergio Castell, who is a mobile security analyst with a company called Riskier. Welcome to the show, Sergio. And can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks, Michelle, for having me tonight. Yeah, so I'm a mobile security analyst. I'm currently focusing on Android security testing and platform testing. Also testing all sorts of apps. And basically my background is a bit uh, related to reverse engineering. A bit known online as uh, Linux City for porting uh, some applications from vendors and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, got my reputation from there. And super glad to be joining in, in this episode. And thanks for joining us. And also on the show, we have another person who made an appearance on a previous episode of the Android Bytes podcast, Danny Lin, who is an independent software developer. He has his fingers in many different pies, and he's really involved in the Android community. And I'd like to give you a brief opportunity to explain your relevancy to SafetyNet and what you've been doing lately. Sure. Thanks, Michelle and David. So as Michelle said, I'm an independent developer working on a lot of Android-related things, such as custom operating systems, kernels, apps, and... I maintain a magic module for rooted users and power users in general called Universal Safety Net Fix. And it's a well-known way for rooted users to bypass Google's safety net checks and use their favorite apps. And it's a point of contention within the Android community. Yeah, so both of our guests today have a lot of relevant knowledge and experience when it comes to safety net and tamper detection mechanisms such as safety net. And if you're a mobile application developer or a software developer who has ported an application to Android, especially if that application deals with any sensitive information, such as financial or healthcare related information, you may have at least taken a look at what Google's offering in SafetyNet. So just to kick things off, for those of you who aren't familiar, SafetyNet is an API that's part of Google Mobile Services. Specifically, it's part of Google Play Services. So you won't find it on devices that lack GMS. But on those devices where GMS is available, it's an API, or rather a set of APIs, that is security focused. And one of the most important APIs contained within SafetyNet is the Attestation API. This is the API that when people talk about SafetyNet, it's probably the one they're talking about 99% of the time. It's the API that apps can call to check whether or not the software environment they're running on has been tampered with in any way. So what basically happens is that apps call the safety net attestation API, the API sends a call to Google's backend, and it analyzes various flags and parameters that were sent with that response, and it decides whether or not the software environment has been tampered with or not, if it matches a known safe build that Google verified previously. And then the application can receive that response and then decide what they want to do with that. If they decide to restrict the application entirely, they can just kick the user out of the app or they can just restrict certain functionality within the app. It's totally up to the app developer. It's designed to give app developers a choice if they want their app running on that environment or not. 
So safety net is quite complicated and involved. And unless you have experience dealing with anti-temper detection mechanisms, you probably aren't that familiar with how it actually works. And speaking of one of the confusing aspects of safety net is the actual term tamper. When you think of tamper, you might think of, oh, safety net is checking whether or not the device is safe to run on, that the software is free of any vulnerabilities and that it hasn't been hacked by some malicious actor. However, SafetyNet doesn't actually check that the software environment is safe to run on. It only checks whether or not that software meets a previously known CTS-compatible status. So I wanted to ask both of you who have some experience dealing with SafetyNet, what does that mean for the software to be CTS-compatible? So when a device has been CTS-certified, what it means is that it has gone through a set of tests made by Google. So these are the compatibility test suite that uh, Google makes for each Android version and that OEMs need to pass in order to get their devices certified to actually go to the market with Google mobile services, with GMS. So devices that run the Play Store, devices that you acquire that have Google Play services are known to pass CTS. So basically these tests are a wide range of tests that vary between signature tests, uh, platform API tests. They also have some tests against the Dalvik machine that runs the code. Uh, test against intents, permissions, and whatnot. What Google does is that it's actually comparing if the environment is actually matching the one that these tests are supposed to run, we can say. So when you run safety net, in reality, it's actually checking, as you said, Michelle, if the device is in a known good state, we can say. Yeah. Yeah. And as Sergio just brought up, there are actually many different things that are checked as a part of the safety net attestation. One of the most critical ones is it checks whether or not the bootloader of the device has been unlocked. And that is one of the key checks to determine whether or not the device passes basic integrity. So I just wanted to ask you both before we go on, can you explain the difference between the basic integrity status and CTS status? So basic integrity passes as long as SafetyNet doesn't detect super obvious indicators of tampering, such as say, if it finds a root binary or it finds exposed modifying the runtime environment, things like that will get flagged as failing basic integrity and also like running on an emulator. But on the other hand, CTS profile only passes if you match a CTS compatible software build as Michelle and Sergio explained. Right. So there are multiple different tiers of verification that SafetyNet runs. Basic being the most basic, of course, whether or not a device has been unlocked, its bootloader is unlocked, whether or not there's super user binaries present. And two of those things, unlocking the bootloader and having super user binaries present are obviously very relevant to power users who like to intentionally unlock the bootloader on their device and gain root access using tools like Magisk because they want to install modifications onto their device to customize it in whatever way they want to tune the performance. They want to basically just have full reign, full control over the device. But safety net is one of the ways that applications can use to prevent themselves from operating on those software environments. And over time, more and more applications have started to use safety net as a way to detect rooted users and prevent them from running their applications. For example, banking applications is one very, very common example. Another example would be games, because many games fear that users who have root access can modify game files and possibly cheat or to unlock certain benefits. So there are many different reasons and there are many different uses for SafetyNet, 
But of course, this is a headache for users who want to enjoy full access to their device. So in order to combat this, I'd say, problem for uh, power users, the most popular routing framework, Magisk, at least in the past, used to offer various safety net root detection circumvention methods. So I'd like to ask both of you, can you describe what are the, some of the things that Magisk did to circumvent safety net? Sure. So the modifications that Magisk performs on the device or used to perform when Magisk Hive was still included in, in Magisk, where, for example, changing whether the bootloader status was uh, unlocked or not. So when Android boots during the boot sequence, there are some properties that are set as part of the, of the bootloader and the boot stages in the device, uh, such as the boot status. It acts like a stoplight. Uh, it can be green, red, or orange. And so Magisk basically modifies these values that are being set from the bootloader. It's basically changing a bunch of properties that can indicate that the system is compromised. Another thing that Magisk is also doing is also hiding itself. One of the features that was included in Magisk Hide was including a set of apps that Magisk would try to prevent those apps from reading that Magisk was present on the device. So it would hide Magisk core processes for those apps. Then also Magis also implemented in the latest versions, being able to spoof the package name of Magisk so that applications that enumerate the other applications that are installed in the device wouldn't be able to know if Magisk was installed just by checking the list of installed packages by their package name, because the package name would be randomized. Those are most of the core things that Magisk Hide did. Yeah. Yeah, basically also removes the super user binary from the application environment. But also like if the users install Magisk modules that change files, then those will also get removed from the application environment, not only Magisk itself. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting what's especially important about the way SafetyNet works is that we actually don't know exactly how it works at any given point in time because the entirety of the SafetyNet binary, the service is closed source. There used to be a point in time, I think way back in 2016, where the code was unobfuscated, but that quickly changed. And now every safety net binary that's downloaded every couple of months or the various parameters that are checked, we don't know what's checked for one. And we don't know which subset of parameters are actually used to determine the safety net response. So on one device, safety net might check maybe nine out of 10 parameters. On another device, they might check seven out of 10. Uh, we just don't know what's being checked and it could differ based on the software version. It could differ based on the OEM and we just don't know exactly what it's doing. So because of the closed source nature of Google Play services and safety net, our inability to know what's actually being checked, developers like the one behind Matches, Topchon Wu, are constantly playing a cat and mouse game with Google, coming up with ways to circumvent whatever latest check they put in place into safety net. They find a report that, hey, Magis is broken and apps are flagging my devices being unapproved. And then you figure out what are they actually flagging? And then you try to come up with a new way to circumvent that. And this has gone on for years and it's something that actually continues to this day. So I wanted to ask both of you about this cat and mouse game played between Google and root tool developers. What are some of the advantages that Google has over Rootool developers when it comes to bypassing whatever circumventions are created? And what are some of the advantages that the Magis developers and other developers have over Google? 
Well, there are so many possible things that Google could be checking. And so like every vendor tends to have slightly different indicators. Like for example, I know Samsung has their own Knox warranty bit that shows up as a property. And so with the amount of indicators Google can check, it's kind of like if you plug one of them, then Google could just find another one. And of course, they have an ultimate tool, hardware attestation, which is kind of the end game for us. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that I also find that Google has a lot of advantage, I guess the community in this case, is the fact that SafetyNet can be updated at any given time because it's a module. It's part of Google Mobile Services. So uh, Google can at any time flick a switch and incorporate any new kind of checks. So yeah, they have the possibility to easily update the checks they are performing on each device individually. Uh, they could also perform A-B tests and see how it uh, behaves on different devices. It's really up to them. But also, I guess that the developers within the community also have the advantage that Majisk, the way it is, it's uh, really modular and accepts modules from the community. And also the fact that there's a community back in Magisk, I find that Magisk itself uh, has a, a lot of potential because of the fact there's so many individuals that can perform or can really create modules that can help in circumventing these security checks that SafetyNet is performing. So yeah, it's not only a one-person game, it's more about the community and Google updating the GMS. <laughs> I have a question about the relationship between Google and the individual device makers, the OEMs. So when you say that, for example, Samsung may have its own parameter in Knox that it's going to use for attestation, that SafetyNet can also leverage, is that because Google is working with Samsung to add that parameter to their attestation, or is Google simply just doing their own research and creating these things? I think in Samsung's case, it's just that Samsung happened to have the property accessible. And so Google could check that property. Okay, that's interesting. I guess it would probably be difficult for Google to work with a lot of these companies because some of these solutions in some ways are competing rights management, essentially. Right. Yeah, and in a similar vein, SafetyNet itself is not the only anti-tamper detection mechanism. It's just a convenient, essentially, library that app developers can hook into to quickly determine if the software environment is tampered with or not. But Many applications have also extended SafetyNet and added their own checks. This used to happen a lot more before SafetyNet was around, but it still happens today. And it's going to continue going on, especially for those app developers and game developers that really, really, really want to make sure the integrity of the software environment is matching what was submitted to Google. And it's not, they're not there's no way to cheat, there's no way to spoof any responses or anything like that. And Danny actually brought up a very important point earlier about hardware attestation. So going back to how SafetyNet itself works, because this cat and mouse game between Google Play services and root developers has generally gone in favor of root tool developers because of the nature of the difference between Google Play services and tools like Magisk. Google Play services is a privileged application, of course. It's installed as a system pre-installed application and it has so many permissions and privileges that normal applications don't have access to. But the same is true for Magisk and other root tools. They're at just installed at a lower level and just have even higher privileges. They have root access, which is the reason behind the name. And because of that, no matter what Google is able to check, there is eventually some way to bypass that check or spoof the check or, or something like that. But there's a new method that Google is employing 
that makes safety net incredibly difficult for root users to circumvent, and it's called hardware attestation. So I wanted to ask you, can you describe hardware attestation? What makes it so difficult to bypass? The reason why hardware attestation is so difficult to bypass is because the checks are being performed against the trusted execution environment, the TE that is running in the device. So whenever an application, or in this case, safety net, performs a key attestation, uh, what it's doing is telling the TE, which is a component that is uh, isolated and it communicates with Android through a, a hardware abstraction layer, but it's uh, running in a totally separate environment and it cannot be accessed by rooting the device or by running custom kernels or anything like that. You would need to find a vulnerability in the trusted execution environment in order to tamper with its data. So you can know that uh, whatever the outcome of a key attestation comes from the TE, it, you, you can trust it. And of course, it's also a signed blob. So what developers can do, or in this case, SafetyNet can do, is check the properties that tell whether the device is bootloaded and locked or not based on the key attestation response. And also check that the key attestation response hasn't been tampered with, checking that the signature is correct. Right. And the reason the trusted environment is so hard to get to is because it's essentially like a more powerful layer, even higher than root and isolated by hardware protection features. And the key used to sign the attestation is only accessible from the trusted environment. And on Google's Pixel phones, they could also use the Titan hardware security module to make it even harder to bypass. Yeah, exactly. There's Google Pixel devices, and I think some Samsung phones are also incorporating it now. It's called Strongbox, so they can leverage two levels of the attestation in reality. One that is against the TE, and the other that is against Strongbox. So they can know, well, they actually have literally different levels of attestation. If uh, DE is uh, level three, they know that the Strongbox is level four. So it's uh, a level higher. It's uh, stronger security, we can say. And just as a little bit of background on some of this, because we're, we're talking about hardware for people who don't really understand, and I'm not saying I'm an expert either, but for example, Qualcomm has a branded version of this, the TE called Trust Zone, and then obviously Google has its Titan M security chip. A good way to think of them is like a micro operating system running on a separate piece of physically isolated hardware on the chipset. And the idea is that it's much easier to control the integrity of that physically isolated piece of hardware for, I think, reasons that are very technical, but that should be inherently something you feel is true because it is so removed from the rest of the OS. I, I remember when Qualcomm initially was really pushing Trust Zone and their security solution as they were coming out with it. And it's still something that I think that is not explained very well to kind of the general user, but it's something that almost every smartphone, high-end smartphone, I should say, now has something like this. From what I remember, actually, it's been a GMS requirement to include some form of trusted execution environment since Android 7.0 Nougat. And only high-end devices typically have dedicated hardware security modules, which are completely isolated from the main application's processor. But most devices implement some form of trust zone, which is able to create an isolated environment within the actual CPU. And that is sufficient to be used for this purpose, for hardware attestation. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Danny and Sergio. No, that is correct. It runs on an isolated environment and it cannot be tampered with unless you really find a vulnerability in its software or you physically tamper with the device. So it's uh, something that it's really hard. And as Danny was also saying, all the keys that are backed by hardware 
So when we also talk about the hardware-backed key store, it's also the same thing. It's uh, storing the keys within the TE and the hardware-backed strongbox if it's available. But yeah, it's uh, not possible to tamper with these kinds of environments because you will really need to find the vulnerability in them and all you can do is trust in them. Yeah, and the reason you can't run anything yourself in the isolated environment is because all code that runs in the environment must be signed by private keys that only the manufacturer has access to. Yeah, and if somehow you were able to find a vulnerability in the trusted execution environment on a device, you could apply for a sum of hundreds of thousands of dollars in terms of security vulnerability payouts. And if you were to somehow extract the key used to sign that software, it's possible that Google could just simply revoke those keys and make it so nothing on that device would be trusted. I believe that's something that Google announced they could do. I don't know if it's actually been done before, though. Mm, yes, I think it's been done. I don't know if for any popular phone manufacturer, but I know there is a CRL list of certificates that are being revoked for hardware key attestation. So when you set up an application to perform a hardware back key attestation, Google explains to you how to actually get a hold of this list so that you can know from your server when you check the response or from the device, if it happens to be the case that you're checking the response there, to know if the certificate has been revoked by Google. So this is something that Google is already providing and Google can actually revoke certificates if the keys happen to get leaked for a certain device or for a certain device manufacturer. So for everything you've just heard, it should hopefully come across clear that circumventing hardware-backed attestation in SafetyNet is practically impossible for all intents and purposes just because of how incredibly difficult it is to find a vulnerability in a trusted execution environment. Despite that, Danny came up with a module for Magisk called the Universal SafetyNet Fix that allows you to pass SafetyNet on devices where hardware-backed attestation is used. So I wanted to ask you, Danny, how exactly is that possible? What exactly are you doing to, to make that happen? The only reason that works is because Google is currently enforcing hardware attestation loosely. So if hardware attestation succeeds, then it will use the hardware result for a safety net. But if it fails, then it will fall back to basic attestation. And so in the past, what I was able to do is just make it so that all hardware attestation requests would fail on the Android side. And so they would fall back and succeed. But in, I think, September last year, Google made it so that they actually enforce the usage of hardware attestation on some phones where they know the device is supposed to support it. Like, for example, on Pixel devices, it would fail if you had to fall back to basic attestation for whatever reason. So the new method was that because they check it based on the device and not based on the hardware itself, what you're able to do is change any part of the device model information. And so what I opted to do is add an empty space character to the device model name. And that would bypass the check because it no longer thinks it's a pixel. It just thinks it's some unknown device that may or may not support hardware attestation. And so they don't enforce it. That's hilarious. It is. And also one of those things like, how could they have missed that? And how quickly will they address it? Yeah, I think um, one thing to note is that Google could have started enforcing hardware attestation a while ago. As I mentioned, TEEs became a requirement around the Android 7.0 Nougat area. But despite the fact Google didn't implement hardware attestation checks to SafetyNet until about 2020. 
And I think it's because they want to balance allowing power users on Twitter and the XDA community to continue to have fun with their root mods and their modules and whatnot. But they also want to ensure to their customers and their app developers that they have some way to verify the software integrity of a build that their app is running on. So they kind of have to do this balancing act between the two. They don't want to all of a sudden lock out many users from applications, but they also do want to enforce security, improve the security of safety net. I think the main problems is that, well, number one, just because they require the trusted execution environment doesn't mean they require working hardware attestation until later. And number two is that a lot of manufacturers ship with broken attestation until they really got serious about deploying it. And that's a pretty common narrative in the Android world, that Google really has to wait for partners to catch up to do a lot of these things correctly. So yeah, the lag there definitely makes sense. That's just kind of how Android always is, because Android is not homogenous, and Google has to consider the wider ecosystem a lot. Yeah, and that also speaks to another point in that because there are so many different software environments, it's not possible for SafetyNet to determine whether or not they're actually safe. Apps shouldn't rely on SafetyNet to actually determine if the software bill that they're executing on is a safe and vulnerable free environment. SafetyNet is just intended to verify if it matches the CTS submitted build to Google, and that's all. So safety net is a highly contentious issue among power users online because of how many applications use it. There are definitely many valid reasons to use safety net, especially if you're dealing with financial or any you know, healthcare or any sensitive data. But there are many applications where it's arguable whether or not they actually do need it. So I wanted to ask you both for your opinions. Do you think there are some applications that use safety net as a crutch? And what do you think those applications should be doing instead of using safety net to verify so, the integrity? I think that uh, not really. I mean, there's some applications that I would say it depends on the implementation, right? Applications could really check for a safety net attestation whenever the app is launched, for example, or following Google guidelines, they could perform a safety net attestation when they want to perform a high valuable API call, for example, that they want to protect some sort of data that it's uh, important for the application and they could perform this uh, safety net call at that specific time. But I would say that it depends on how the apps are really implementing safety net. There's apps that do check all the results locally and they do not tell the server if they have any about the result of safety net. Or it could be that the server is actually waiting for the safety net response and it would not let the application do anything until it gets a valid safety net response. So many applications are really abusing it. It depends a lot on how developers really intend to use the ABI. The ABI, from the way I see it, it has a good purpose, but it can be misused by developers in the sense that it can be abused and run at any single application. And there's no, no real purpose to protect some certain applications that don't have any valuable information and they don't hold anything that is, uh, it can be extracted by an attacker or anything related. I know at least at some point the McDonald's app was checking safety net. I don't know if it still does, but I don't really see the need for an app like that to check safety net when they could secure everything on the server side instead. Exactly. That's exactly my point. There's applications that don't really need to have security on the, on the Android side. They really need to have the security on their backend. 
So unless you are really holding sensitive data, like just thinking of Google Pay, for example, it holds car data. So uh, in the case of Google Pay, I can understand that it's performing safety at the stations, but for applications like McDonald's, if they still do, why? Why would they? I'll play devil's advocate on this one because I think there is at least a small justification to an app like McDonald's. I don't know if you all remember, but there have been several stories over the years of people submitting McDonald's orders either because they stole somebody's credit card or it stole their credentials to the McDonald's app. And the McDonald's app, I believe, uses geofencing to determine where you're allowed to order to prevent people from doing things like this. And if you had a device failing safety net, you could potentially have location spoofing on that device, enabling somebody to do some hilarious pranks, but that would cost McDonald's a substantial amount of money. At least that would be my guess, would be the logic there. Now, is safety net the right tool for that? I couldn't say. I don't know. It may be that that is the very wrong tool to provide that kind of security. And like you said, Sergio, that McDonald's should be doing this on the back end as well. They should have some other layer of validation there. But it's easy to see the appeal for a company of that size, especially to say, oh, I can just make sure that my app only runs on devices that are secured and pass safety net. Why wouldn't I? Because that's every consumer Android smartphone. And then obviously we get into the issue where the enthusiast community has no reason to spoof McDonald's. They just want to order and use the app. So I do think there are competing considerations there, but McDonald's or any other vendor who is using it to essentially using safety net as a wall in that fashion, it does feel like a, a crude tool to achieve that kind of result. Yeah, there's many other things that they could be using for taking this. Again, we don't really know if they are still doing this, but yeah, uh, they, they, they could perform these checks in many various ways. And yeah. We can say it's a way of doing it. Yeah, so I think the takeaway should be that safety net should not be used in lieu of implementing proper security practices. It shouldn't be used in place of encrypting any sensitive data you're using client-side. It shouldn't be used in lieu of validating information sent on the server. It should be used in conjunction with all of those best security practices. It's something that you use to help guide your decision-making in whether or not you want to allow an app to access the backend, whether or not you want to allow the user to call an API, whether or not you want the response to be sent, you shouldn't assume that the device hasn't been tampered with. Even though SafetyNet is trying to assert that, it's not something you can take for granted because as we've talked about for the past 30 minutes, there are many different ways to circumvent SafetyNet and basically tell it, nope, I'm not rooted, no way, I'm perfectly normal. And in actuality, of course, you have total root access over the device. Yes. And this also holds true, for example, when you use non-conventional routing mechanisms, such as for when you use a zero-day vulnerability that someone discovered in Android. I'm thinking it comes to my mind right now, one that was discovered in 2020, it was discovered by Blue Frost Security. They were exploiting Binder and gaining root access and also changing SE Linux permissive on the phones so that they could run anything on the phone because they had root access uh, through a bug in, in Binder, in one of the components in Android. So in reality, you don't really need to try to look for Magisk. You don't really need to look for conventional root software. You need to actually make sure that your application is secure in such a way that API calls cannot be replayed. You need to also check that safety net passes or not, of course, but also checking if the environment itself is secure 
through other mechanisms like uh, root binaries. You can check things manually. There, there's many ways to, to, to do it, to approach it. I don't want to say specific ones, but there's many ways that you can approach it and you can actually test if there is a potential of a vulnerability or of potential of an exploited system in reality. Right. So ultimately, the responsibility is with the app developer. Google provides this nifty drop-in tool. You're asking Google, is this software okay to run in? But beyond that, you're responsible if anything happens with data exfiltrated from your application, especially if you're handling sensitive data like healthcare. You know, you're the one on the hook if anything happens with that data. So if safety net's bypassed or there's a zero-day vulnerability that leads to root access, it's not relying on safety net is not going to be enough to protect your data from being pilfered by a malicious actor. So safety net is one of the security-related APIs that Google offers to app developers. But I wanted to bring up a, another API that Google announced at last year's Google for Games Developer Summit. It's called the Play Integrity API. And for many months, Google hasn't really said much about it. They announced it at the Games Developer Summit and didn't really talk about it much. But in the recent weeks, I believe they published some documentation about it. And Sergio, you took a look through it and you saw some of the things that it offers. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think of this new Play Integrity API and how does it relate to SafetyNet? Yes. So the way I feel about Play Integrity is uh, of a natural successor for uh, SafetyNet because it incorporates all the checks that uh, SafetyNet was already performing. Plus with the other benefit that now application developers from within Google Play Console or if they are not deploying the application within the Google Play Store, within Google Cloud Console, they can actually enable or disable specific checks to be performed on the device, such as, for example, enforcing that the device in which the application is going to run has strong, uh, I don't remember how they called it, but basically they have a way to let developers choose if they want hardware back here at the station to be performed in those devices. So it feels like uh, it gives a, a lot of new options to app developers in the sense that they can choose what they want based on the amount of security that they require for their application, relying on app developers instead of Google trying to enforce it by themselves. So if one of these checks is not passing, then Google Play Integrity will not pass. So the app developers will be able to know Play Integrity is just not passing because all the checks that they require are not passing. Apart from that, Google Play Integrity also incorporates, uh, they also check the licensing related to games uh, to check if an application was purchased through the Play Store. So if you install a uh, downloaded APK from anywhere else, it's not going to say that the application is certified. Plus, if you modify the application, there is also a field within the Play Integrity response that is going to let you know whether the APK has been tampered or not. As you know, Google is enforcing app developers to use app bundles. So since the APKs are not being compiled in the developer's machine, they cannot know what's going to be the final hash of the APK resulting of the compilation or that's going to end up being installed on the devices, right? So since the compilation for the final APK is performed in Google servers through these app bundles, through this AAB file, Google can actually check if the final hash of the APKs match the ones that they have built in their cloud. So they can know if the APK has been tampered or reverse engineered in some way by any malicious actor. So it basically incorporates everything from SafetyNet plus some other benefits such as licensing, uh, checking if the application has been tampered, and also the fact that it lets developers choose if they want to force uh, 
hardware backkey at the station or all other security features to be enabled by default. The thing is though, back when Google announced SafetyNet, there were those two tiers, basic integrity and CTS profile. And Google specifically recommended to app developers, you should only check CTS profile if you really have a strong need for security. And yet almost all apps using SafetyNet are now checking that. I personally honestly think that the future is bleak with play integrity because now that developers have an option for strong integrity, even though Google doesn't recommend using that for everything, it seems like the same thing will likely happen and that will end up being enforced by most apps. Yeah, I think we'll have to wait and see how Google pitches this new play integrity API. Obviously, they are intending this to be adopted by game developers in particular. They announced this, after all, at the Google for Games Developer Summit. And I have a strong feeling that the next Google for Games Developer Summit is also going to spend a lot of time about this. And as Sergio noticed, it's, you're actually able to start utilizing the API. It's, it's, it was opened up for integration by third-party developers. And this API, even if it is merely an extension over safety net and it only offers a few additional features like Sergio mentioned, it's part of Google's broader push to entice game developers to port their games over to Android on top of the Google Play Games for Windows initiative that they're launching soon, the um, pitch to app developers to port their games onto large screen devices like Chromebooks and tablets and foldables. I think this is just one piece of their overall plan to bolster gaming on Android, which is surprisingly a huge, huge market. I think it uh, mobile gaming revenue dwarfs all other game markets significantly. And of course, there are various reasons for that. If you game on consoles or PC, you might have very strong opinions about it, but it is what it is. It is a huge market, and it's one that Google and game developers certainly can't ignore. Yeah, that's absolutely right on the gaming front. I think that most people don't have that visibility into how much money is changing hands in that market. And I think that you're exactly right, Michelle. That's why Google announces these things at the Game Developer Summit that they hold for play because it is all about protecting their revenue <laughs> for game developers, especially in things like, so we all remember when Ingress came out and how location spoofing was one of the most effective ways to cheat. And also that's what people did in Pokemon Go too. And that ruins the experience for other people. So game developers really, really are concerned about device tampering because there are a number of things they're doing to make sure the device the user is playing on is trusted but there are only so many things they can do. And being able to trust that it's the device that it says it is, is probably a pretty important one. You could probably also see this in aimbots, other cheating things that you can do that have been going on in the PC gaming world for literally decades now. But you're very correct, Michelle, that the revenue that comes out of mobile gaming is truly tremendous. And that's a craze that particularly is strong in Southeast Asia, but it's also quite strong in America and the EU too. Google has every reason to pander to game developers on this and also hopefully in the process give developers more nuanced control over how they use safety net or excuse me, um, this new what appears to be a sort of replacement for safety net and probably do some educating there. I would think that, I mean, Sergio, Danny, would you agree that education for developers is probably the biggest challenge for safety net? Yeah, I would say so, because in the end, it all depends on how the implementation is. 
So developers need to properly use and properly integrate the, the APIs that Google is providing them in order to ensure that the experience for both the developer and the users are going to be the best. So yeah, it really requires a lot of time and that's why it's Play Integrity API has been in beta for, I don't know how many months now, or in closed beta rather. I guess Google is uh, doing it step by step and probably will create even more documentation and make it even easier for developers to integrate this kind of APIs in general all the APIs that they provide to ensure that the end user experience is going to be the best uh, in order to also prevent, for example, cheating and also ensuring that in-game experience is the best for the users. Yeah, I also think that Google needs to emphasize educating developers because they also don't want to lock out legitimate users who, for some reason, don't have devices with, say, working hardware attestation. Yeah, and the end goal is the more developers that implement or rely on SafetyNet or Play Integrity API soon, the more their applications will be tied to the Google ecosystem overall. And I think you'll see that if you have a device without GMS, there are many applications that because SafetyNet is just not available, you'll immediately fail any SafetyNet checks because the API itself is unavailable. So you're immediately seen as being in a non-CTS approved device. And that obviously is really problematic for users who don't have GMS on their device. And for developers who are creating applications, SafetyNet is seen as the number one choice for tamper detection mechanism. And there aren't really many other options besides just creating your own, which many applications do. But because of the sheer amount of data that Google can collect on devices through Play Services, they're able to build the best profiles and determine most effectively whether or not the software environment has been tampered with. So developers or device makers who are looking at the ecosystem and wondering, how can I ensure that the applications that I install on a device are running in a untampered environment would have to say, I think the only way you could probably ensure that without safety net is if you own the software environment that your device is running on. If you were to be the one deploying the operating system and keep it up to date, that would be probably the most effective way of ensuring that your application is running in an untampered environment because that environment was created by you or a trusted partner. And that's really where Esper comes in. And since this podcast is powered by Esper, this is where we're going to do our plug. Also, since we're about to end here, but the reason you might want to think about this as an Android OEM, if you're not using GMS, is that you are going to, on your device, at some point, try to run a third-party application. Of course you are. And likely, or even, I wouldn't say likely, but very possible, you'll try to use an application that relies on safety net. And it won't have a fallback, it just won't run. Because you're on AOSP, you don't have a way to make that application talk to safety net because you don't have GMS. This is a real problem, and it's one that device makers do encounter in the AOSP space. And a big way to get around that, of course, is to partner with the app developers who are creating this content, be that like something like a Netflix or Hulu, or some other streaming media service that relies on robust DRM to be supported on the device. And a real way to do that, like Michelle said, is to own the operating system you put on that device because you can show that you have a trust level that can be used by developers. And there are tons of things you can do. We've discussed them on this episode today, ways you can validate and check to see if the device has been tampered with. And if you're making devices, like Michelle said, the best way to uh, avoid tampering is to own the firmware yourself, validate the firmware yourself. That's much more trust than any API can provide. So 
If you're interested in building an Android device with or without GMS, get in touch with us here at Esper. We're at esper.io. And Sergio and uh, Danny, if you want to just kind of wheel back and tell people where they can find you. Sure. Uh, you can find me at Twitter. Uh, my ad is at Linux City. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you can also find me on Twitter where I'm at KDragon with a zero. So K-D-R-A-G-0-N. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Android Bytes, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody.